Yes, well, Skid Row is back. They have a new album coming out on October 14th. The title of the album and the first single is The Gang's All Here. I think it's a brilliant song, and the whole album is like that. It's old school Skid Row. Sounds amazing to me, and I'm a diehard fan. So we have Dave the Snake Sabo here, and he's going to tell us all about it, how it was working with prolific producer Nick Raskalenovitz. I never could say that right. But that guy's worked with Rush, Allison Chains, Foo Fighters, and so many more. Plus, we're going to talk to Dave about some of the old days and the meaning behind some of the old tunes. Plus, I see if I if Snake can stump me on any Skid Row trivia. All this and more coming right up. Uh, real quick, if you're watching this on YouTube, please make sure to hit the like button and subscribe on the show. I would really appreciate it, and it will help bump this up so more people will see it, and more. And you're promoting Skid Row by that by doing that as well. Thank you so much. Thanks for making time for me. I'll, I'll wait six hours. I don't care. I don't care. I'm a huge fan. So this is uh, like a dream come true. I'm like literally slave to the grind. First rock record I ever listened to. Like I was into rap and stuff and I was dating this girl and she goes, can I put on some uh, skid row? And I go, I don't know what the hell that is. I was like, you're a girl. Like I'm, I get to be with a girl, whatever you want. She puts it on. I'm like, wow, I actually really like this music. And then now I'm a rock fan. Wow, dude. Thank you so much. That's awesome. Yeah. So, and I love, I got to say, I love the new record. I think it, it bridges the gap between the, the debut and slave to the grind. I feel like it's right in between those two. I, I, I don't know. Is that kind of how you feel too? Like, I feel like it's not really the debut, but it's not really slave either. It's like right in the middle. It certainly feels that way. I, and, and, and that was, that was the general intention when we started making this record was, and it was all Nick Raskulinitz. It was all his idea who produced the record. He was like, I want to reintroduce you guys to you guys. And it was like, <laughs> what do you mean by that? He's like, well, goes, there's what you guys to find that spot within you of what drove you not only to pick up your instruments, but to create music and then create music with each other and put a band together and jam in a garage. And it's just that, that mentality. And of course you can't retrace your steps exactly because it's, you know, 35 years have gone by and 35 years of life has been lived. And no, you're not going to rewrite youth got wild as a, you know, as, as you would have when you were 21 years old or anything like that. It's not about that. It's about that essence of how you're going and how you express yourself and the camaraderie that the three of you have, Scotty, Rachel, myself, and, and what has kept us together for so long. And, you know, because with every record you, you ch attempt to do something a little different with every record, just so you don't become redundant. At least that's what we've done. And then all of a sudden, 35 years have passed. You're like, wow, we're, we're quite a bit away from where we started from, you know? Uh, and so Nick was like, I'm a, he's like, I'm a fan. I know your music inside and out. I've seen you guys play uh, countless times. I want to make, a skid row record and we're like okay and we're putting all our trust in you 
and and so in doing so, his whole vision was we're going to deconstruct every song and rebuild them. Hmm. And we're going to get in a room and we're just going to keep going through them and we're going to find out what works and what doesn't and until we get it right. We're like, wow, awesome. This is the first time we've ever been in a situation like this. And so we, we realized that in order to fully put our trust in somebody that we were going to have to leave our egos in the parking lot. Like that's just the way if we're going to be receptive and kind of open ourselves up and be vulnerable and, uh, and let this guy lead the way then we really have to be without ego completely. And so like willing to take his criticism is what you mean? Everything, everything, just trust in his guidance. And he's one of those guys, though, like he'll challenge you on every level. But in a way, the way he does it, it makes you want to succeed to make him happy. It's, <laughs> it's really weird. It's not in a mean spirited way. Like, oh, stop, you you piece of shit. Like nothing like that. It's like, dude. We've got this. I know we're so close. We've got this. And uh, I know it's in you. We got this. Like it just, he's a great coach. Uh, That's what it sounds like. It sounds like he's kind of like a, uh, like I'm a Seahawks fan. So it sounds like he's kind of got that Pete Carroll, like cheerleading type. Like he's cheering you on without a doubt. Oh my God. Without a doubt. Like, dude, he'll be like, dude, you might not think you can do this, but I know you can do this. Wow. Like, yeah, I could do this. He's a fucking genius then, because I love this record, what he did with it. I mean, he gets some of the credit, but some of it must be the songs that you guys wrote. Did you you wrote that those songs in mind that okay, we're gonna try to make an old school type record? Yeah, I think that everything started to really come into uh view when we were working when we started working with Nick. Cause again, there was a lot of songs written. Uh, but they were in much different shape and form than, than they are now. Mm. And, and then more songs were written while we were working with Nick. So once he had sort of laid out the groundwork for the path that we were going to go down, the process was really, it was electric, man. It was a lot, a lot of fun. Uh, again, like I said, it, after all this time, just to put your ego aside and really trust in a process, uh, it sounds cliche, but we really just, all of us just kind of laid down our arms and, and went, okay, have at it. And we got in a room uh, in a, at a studio and cranked the amps up, got some quick tones uh, and just started jamming. And he's in there jamming along with us. And, and he's, uh, you know, he plays drums, he plays bass, he plays guitar, he writes. Uh, he, so he's extremely well-versed. Like, you're not going to get anything past him. You know what I mean? Like, you're not mm-hmm. going to, it's not going to get past him. And he is acutely aware of what each guy is playing. It's It's pretty wild. And so we'd be playing. And he's like, okay, 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 stop. 
I like the intro. I like the the first verse, but going into the second verse, the second B verse or whatever, why don't you try doing something like you did at the end of the chorus in Monkey Business? And you're like, light bulb goes off. You know, you're like, yeah, yeah, I hear that. And so then you tap into that part of you that you haven't tapped into in quite some time. Uh, not by any fault. It's just life. Life goes mm-hmm. on. Uh, and then all of a sudden, everybody starts, well, how about this? And then the next guy goes, okay, that's great. And then we do this. And then it becomes this uh, this crazy experience of, of uh, creativity just being uh, 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 thrown around with each other until we all go, yes, that's it. And all of a sudden, it's something new and something different, but it is inherently us. Uh, so he he reintroduced Skid Row to Skid Row. <laughs> I love it. I love it. So that's the one thing I didn't get in the promo. I got to listen to the whole thing, but I don't. I don't get the songwriting credits. And I think Rachel told me when I had him on before that there was songs written by Lizzie from Hailstorm. Marty Fredrickson and Corey Taylor. Did any of those songs make this record? Are those on there? The Marty Fredrickson song made the record. Uh, the the songs that we wrote with Lizzie and Joe and with Corey didn't, but that's not to say that they won't uh, on the next record because they're they're hmm. we're 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 not we're we're not closing the door on anything. That's I'll tell you what. That's one thing that this process taught us is you don't close the door on anything. You yeah, see, you, you see it through. Okay, well, so the first single, the gang's all here. I mean, that's the thing that blew me away. I heard that song and I was like, "Oh my god, my jaw dropped!" Because I mean, that's the best song I've heard all year. Maybe, maybe the last ten years. Like, I, oh, I'm wow. trying to think of a better song. I, I'm serious because I'm a diehard Skid Row fan. That, like I said, that was the first stuff that got me into rock. So, and it takes you back to that like like i said it bridges it's like you went back in time and made a song in 1990 and i'm like oh it's amazing and then i'm hearing the rest of the record and it's all like that it's all these like songs and right now that's the gang's all here was that was my first favorite obviously but now i'm like wait i like this one no I like, and it keeps switching i'm like okay you made a good album the whole album is good wow thank you so much yeah that's a fun song man and, and you know what the pandemic affected people in so many different ways uh for me personally, it was really difficult because I had hardly any creativity whatsoever. Um, and really? Uh, yeah. I, I, all these other people I talked to were like, oh, man, we was going nuts creating. I had none. I don't know why. Hmm. Uh, I thought everything that I was coming up with sucked and uh, I always felt useless. So to get back in a room with uh with Rachel and 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 then eventually with the band and start creating again and and all of a sudden those ideas start start popping back uh I think that when we when we finished the the gangs all here it was inadvertently a response to society being able to uh once again engage uh really no heavy message just man, it feels good to hang out with you. <laughs> you know, yeah. it feels good to be able to 
socially interact. Uh, and it's not not a heavy message or anything like that, other than, you know what? It's great to be able to be in in in, a, in community again with one another. Yeah, no, and I love that. I love. I think you raised the standard right now. I think uh, your friends in Guns and Roses and your friends in Motley Crue. I think they need to do something. Maybe they need to get with Nick and make the same kind of record. I'd love to hear like a song like that from GNR that bridged Appetite and the Illusions records. That would be cool. Sure would. Uh, and and you know, like I said, the uh, I can't give enough credit to to Nick. None of us can because we. Uh, this whole thing was was really even though we were the ones creating you know the music and the songs and stuff like that it was his guidance he was he was the captain of the ship and i i'm i'm so thankful for him coming into our lives uh and that you know this all started with him meeting rachel in nashville through friends and him going, I want to make a Skid Row record. Rachel calling me up and going, Do you know this guy, Nick Raskillitz? I go, I'm you know, familiar with him. And he's like, Yeah, he uh he wants to do a Skid Row record. And he's probably just being nice. And every time Rachel saw him, they run into each other. He goes, Man, I'm serious. I want to do a Skid Row record. And then we, we were like, Well, all right, <laughs> let's work this out. So we uh we were able to work out all the all the particulars and the logistics with our with our record label and, and his management and stuff like that. And uh that that wasn't an issue whatsoever. Uh and then he got on a Zoom call with everybody and said, This is what I want to do. And he wouldn't have been able to pull it off if he wasn't so well versed in our history. Mm-hmm. Uh, it, it just would it would have been impossible. Uh and but he came in like he, he's just such a creative force every day he'd come in and we would think that maybe we'd be done with something and he goes i got an idea i want you to do something different in this part of the song okay do something different you're like oh that's good let's take it another step further how far can we take this and that's the kind of process it was and it was it was exhilarating yeah, no, it's really cool. I've, I've noticed one of the themes with it, you know, you have like the song Not Dead Yet, like that lyric, don't throw dirt on an open casket. Right. And then also the resurrected, no one can bring us down or what is it, pu- or push us underground. Right. We're back where we should be resurrected. There's there's that kind of theme of like, uh, you know, like people might have counted Skid Row out, oh, they're they're done. And now it's like you're saying, no, we're not done. And when, and I, and that it makes sense because that's kind of how that album plays out. That's exactly how, yeah, it's exactly it. I mean, those those songs were written from a very uh, uh, vulnerable and and uh, sensitive place, for sure. Because look, we're we're very much in tune with what goes on around us, and and one of the things that this band has always thrived in is the role of the underdog. Um, we've always seemed to really. Throughout our history, when when we've been counted out, we haven't really been out. Uh, we've we've been able to to not only stay alive but thrive. I mean, we've we've toured underneath the radar 
for the t- past 20 years uh, doing 100 shows a year, you know, like uh, all around the world. So it, it's whenever people have counted us out, we're like, nope, there's still people out there who want to hear this. Thank God. And it's the most humbling thing in the world. Because after all this time, we still get to play music for a living and create new music. And, and so we're, we're really, really acutely aware of, of how lucky we are, uh, how fortunate we are to still be around and to still get to do this. Yeah, no, I love it. It's really cool. Now, the song um, October song, I think that's the only kind of slower kind of bow. There's a lot of like just straight ahead rockers. And a lot of the, the songs just have s- kind of the simple lyrics that I love personally, like when the lights come on. I mean, th- a lot of these aren't like super complex, but October song, that one's a little bit, uh, it's it's still heavy. It's dark. It kind of has a Metallica fade to black uh, or a little bit of darkened room. Wow. Vibe to it. Oh, or breaking copy. down, maybe. Thank you. Great. Copy. Yeah. What's the story with that one? That was a riff that I have been playing for well over 10 years easily Mm. that was a practice riff it was a riff that i used to warm up with on acoustic guitar and scotty rachel always be like you gotta do something with that dude and nothing ever came to mind it just i was always stuck with that thing revolving And, and so one day i was we're at rachel's house in nashville and we were writing And one morning I woke up and picked up the acoustic guitar and started playing that riff upstairs. He was downstairs. He heard it. And later on that afternoon, we went to go into the studio to start writing. And I'm like, what do you feel like working on? He goes, that damn riff that you've been playing for the last 15 years that you played this morning. I'm like, really? And so we started working on it. The music started coming into the fold as we were were working on it. And we were fooling around with some melodies. And then we came up with some melodies. And then we were like, what does this song make you feel like? And in I guess in the simplest way, it's sort of about the cycle of life, if you will, of loss and rebirth. Uh, dealing with the, dealing with loss in life, but also accepting that there's a, a new day that arises. So while we have to deal with certain losses in our life, uh, there is always a new day in front of us that with it will bring rebirth. Okay, yeah, because I think the lyric, I don't know if I wrote this down right, something about how do we get down the mountain we climb day by day, what do we do when the light fades away? Right. It's pretty cool stuff. Thanks, man. Yeah, world on... And then the end of it, the end of it really is the line is day day by day we'll get by. And it's just like, that's the cycle of life, man. Like, we will get through it. That With us, even if a song seems to be really dark there's always something positive within it uh there's always a, a like day by day we'll get by that's uh that's us saying that okay no matter what happens we're still gonna get we're gonna get through this we're gonna we're gonna make it through to the next event of our life 
Mm-hmm. Yeah, no, I love it. So great album. Um, now the new songs, I think I heard you say you're only going to do two live. Cause I feel like there's at least three that you could, you could do live. Do you think, would you guys do more like a club tour where you'd more do a deeper set? Cause I know a lot of the shows that you're doing with multiple bands, you don't, you only get like an hour. Yeah, we've been playing. Uh, we've been playing uh, the gangs all here and tear it down in a live show, and we're gonna start playing uh, Time Bomb as well. That's a good one. Yeah. So we just released a video for that. I think yesterday uh, or the day before what, yesterday. Yesterday. What What is that one about? It says like because it's like I'm a ticking time bomb. Like, is that about somebody in particular? No, no, no. No, 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 not anybody in particular. It's just, I think it's kind of has to deal with uh, sort of the uh, the climate that we're in now and how uh, everybody is just so on edge. And so uh, everything feels tenuous. Like there's, there's a lot of division. And I think everybody's stress levels are, you know, ultra high. So I think it might be a response to uh, or, or, or a reflection of what the, those emotions uh, uh, dictate. Is that similar to World on Fire? And that's kind of like, I feel like that had kind of a little bit of a riot act vibe to it. Yeah, totally. <laughs> totally. Yeah. Again, it's a case of, you know, uh, these last few years have been, or have been unprecedented. And you know, everybody, everybody have has been affected by it on all levels. Uh, and again, I think it's a it's a case of if you just sit by and watch the world crumble in front of you, you're complicit. Uh, it's more about the small things of, of, of making where we live and who we live with better. And it's just, just be kinder to people, man, you know, be decent. Well, yeah, it's interesting. Cause you know, you played the, obviously you guys did the Moscow peace festival. I've heard you talk about that. How like you guys went over there, you were, you know, in the eighties, that was a big thing. It was like, Oh, Russians are the enemy. And then you went over there and you're like, Oh, these, these guys aren't so bad. And now it's kind of like back to that, like, you know, Russians are bad kind of thing. But your theory on that whole thing is that most people are, are very more similar. And that's what music does is bring us all together. And, and unfortunately we need that right now in America, not necessarily with Russia, but there's more hate towards each other than there is to Russia. More so than I've ever experienced in my, you know, my whole time on earth, I've never felt anything like this. And, you know, I've got, uh, two 16 year old children. Uh, and you know, the, the questions that they ask, uh, in the midst of this last eight years, they've been, you know, they're aware of how seismic the shift in, uh, the overall treatment of each other has changed. We've gone from being kind people to being malicious people to being judgmental. Uh, not, I don't want to be on a soapbox because I'm not a political person at all. I'm just speaking on a human level, uh, how we are towards each other. You know, it, it. I've always attempted to live my life as a kind person. Uh, I mean, I'm a sarcastic prick. And, 
uh, and, and yeah. like that. But as far as on a human level, we all are guys in the band. We were just kind people. We're kind to each other. Uh, and we always attempt to live in a space of positivity. And I think when you do that and you exude that, that it's infectious. But we just find ourselves in a really, there's a lot of hate, more hate than I, I, I've seen in my entire life. And, you know, I don't want, I don't, I don't want to be in a, a world like that. And so the only way that I know that I can maybe make a difference in that is just exhibiting kindness. I love it. Yeah. Well, I think um, the other thing that I, I noticed that you've talked about a lot is uh, gratitude, I think. And especially as the band grows or, you know, as, as the band gets older and you're, st- and you're, you know, you're so grateful that you still have fans, you still have a following and you're very grateful for that. And that's, that's, I feel like the key to happiness for a lot of people that a lot of people don't exhibit. And I think you're show- leading by example with that. I appreciate that. I, that's the way we all feel. I mean, we were, you know, I, Rachel and Scotty and I, we we're all raised in very, very similar households. Uh, bigger families, you know, I've got four older brothers. Rachel's got uh, three older siblings. Scotty's got three older siblings. We're all the youngest. Uh, we all were raised with tons of music being played in our household. And uh, we were all lower middle class, but our, our we had a we had a great upbringing, uh, and we were taught humility, and we were taught gratitude, uh, and we were taught kindness, and we we were when we became successful because of the way we were taught. We didn't look at success as a birthright. We looked at it as a blessing, as a gift. And so in treating it that way, when things started to not be so successful anymore, it wasn't crushing. It wasn't, it, mm-hmm. it wasn't something that, that you know, uh, maybe jump off the bridge because I was just thankful for what we had. And... I didn't think that I was deserving of it or anything like that. Yeah, we worked really hard and we continue to work hard. That's part of being able to do this and maintaining it. You got to work hard. No one's allergic to that in this band. But I think that, you know, we just, we were steeped in reality that, you know, peaks and valleys are going to occur. Uh, and then and they will reveal your true character. And when your character is revealed, that's what sets the tone for how you will uh, move forward. And, yeah. and so for, you know, for the three of us, we all, we still remained friends when things were falling apart. We still had great amount of love for one another. And that enabled us to continue on. And we've had several different changes in the band. And the reason why that's happened, because we made a vow that we wouldn't do this 
if it wasn't fun anymore. We never did it for the check, for the paycheck. Trust me, because we've been offered numerous large paychecks. And we never did it. We've done everything on our own terms. Uh, and we, we the whole idea was you want to love the music that you play and love the people that you play it with. And so we would do that until that didn't wasn't working anymore. And then we would make the necessary changes to make it that way. Yeah, no. Well, so tell me about like those olden days, the old days when you guys first started out. I love hearing these stories. Like Rachel told me a little bit. He said that when he met you, it was like you were both on a collision course course with success. Like, so talk about those days, like playing in the garage with the propane heaters when it was called darkness. And like the first song was telephone and tell the story about like the the first gig where it was like this old Mexican restaurant. There's only six people. Like, I love these stories. Like the fact that you guys kept going, it's so inspiring. Well, it was, it was exciting to get in, in a garage with a propane heater and make music. That was exciting because, you know, you have this dream and this vision that you're sharing with other people, like other like-minded people who are willing to go through the trenches with you. They're willing to, to eat tuna fish and macaroni and cheese every day. You know, you're willing to be broke. You're willing to work shit jobs to be able to, to be able to, be in a in a garage till you know midnight and then go in another room and write songs till four in the morning and then wake up and go to your day job and then get done with your day job and go back to the garage. It's a lot of work, but it's work that you love because you're building something from nothing. Like how does a kid from Sarahville, New Jersey make his way down to Tom's River, New Jersey, to work in a music store an hour and a half from his house. Well, the only reason that happens is because I'm supposed to meet Rachel Boland. That's the only reason why that happens. It's serendipity. It's the only reason why it occurs. Because why else? There's no other reason. That's what was supposed to happen. Like, why did I take a job Well, there's a thousand music stores. Why did I take that job? That was, I had to take two buses to get there because I had no driver's license. How how does that happen? Yeah. Just doesn't like that. that, And then the other piece of the puzzle is that you live down the street from John Bon Jovi. And this part of the story, I mean, people know the story that you guys were friends and stuff, but this kind of made me think, because when I kept hearing you talk about gratitude, you know, I didn't realize you were actually in Bon Jovi for like a week or something. And then (laughs) it didn't work out, but, and then you obviously must've seen his success and you were not at that level yet. And you, but you weren't bitter. You weren't mad at him. And you didn't say like, screw you for kicking me out of the band. You, you, you deserted me. You kept in contact. You kept that relationship. You were just grateful that he was still your friend. And then later he brings you guys on to, you know, lets you open up and stuff. So you didn't cut that tie. I feel like that's like a huge lesson in life right there that you weren't mad at him. Well, because I was never, here's the thing that I don't think people realize. We did like seven shows together and it was seven or eight shows. It was never like, you're 
you're my guitar player and we're we're i mean we're he's like my big brother you know it wasn't like we were uh mick jagger and keith richards i was not his keith richards and i knew that um and there was never any promise of anything it was literally he won a uh local homegrown radio contest for the song runaway uh it was they had a contest they put out an album the station was wapp 104.3 in new york at the time and he uh he recorded runaway at the studio that he was working at with a bunch of session musicians and a bunch of local bands twisted sister uh, a bunch of other bands sent in their songs and his song won the contest so in order, part of the deal was you win the contest, they put your song in rotation, and you have to go out and perform some shows for the station. And he didn't have a band together. So he said, can you help me put a band together? I'm like, yeah, no problem. And uh, he knew David Bryan from a band that he was in in high school with David. And I knew Alec. Because Alec played in a band in the clubs that I used to go see all the time. We became friends. We had mutual friends. And so I got Alec in the band. And then Alec knew Tico. Tico played in Frankie the Knockouts. So, like, in a space of a couple weeks, we had a band together. But there was no, never anything where, like, rah, 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 we're going to the top. or It was never anything like that. It was like, let's go out and have some fun. And my path was like my influences and and whatnot were decidedly different than than John's. I mean, we had common ground with Aerosmith and ACDC and stuff like that. But whereas he would go down like the Springsteen path or the Southside Johnny path, that sort of Jersey Shore type of vibe, I was leaning towards Iron Maiden and Judas Priest. Right. And so... You know, I had known Richie as well. Alec and Richie were really good friends. And Richie uh, Richie was uh, uh, someone that I absolutely looked up to as, as a guitar player. And he always was just, he was my buddy. And uh, Alec introduced Richie to John. And it made perfect sense. Like, that mm. was obviously... So did you just quit Bon Jovi then, or did, were you technically? No, no, no. Fired, it, it was, it was, it was really interesting. Uh, I remember John had said to me, "Because uh, I think I'm going to have Richie in the band," and I was just like, "Awesome, that makes sense." Like that, yeah. I get it. Because this is before he had made it anyway. So it's oh, yeah. not like you didn't know, like, this isn't slippery when wet and you're getting kicked out. Like, you did, no. you just, you guys are different musical styles. But you yeah, didn't yeah, get yeah. bitter later when he, when Bon Jovi took off and then you weren't mad at him or anything like that. No, 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 yeah. no. God, no. It was always about, look, he always said, if I make it and you have a great band together, I'm going to help him do everything I can to help you. And that's cool. He did not. Uh, renege on that at all. <laughs> yeah, because he had you open in arenas before you guys were even signed when you had the Matt Fallon as singer, right. right? That's right, he did. Yeah, so Matt Fallon, that's funny, I, I can find the demos on YouTube. He wasn't terrible. Like, it, I always wondered what he sounded like. It was kind of like a Stephen Piercy kind of sound, I felt like. You know what it was? And this is... Uh, 
this is not uh, uh, I'm not talking down about the guy or anything. He he sang pretty well. He just didn't have that star quality on stage. That was pretty yeah. much what it was. He just didn't have that. And and especially around that time, you really needed to have uh, a rock star fronting your band. Yeah. No, that makes sense. Because, yeah, he also sang with Anthrax. So he had chops, but it just yeah, it yeah. didn't have that. Is it true that um, on those demos, is it Tico Torres played the drums because your drummer was in jail or something? Well, that the first we did a, a three song demo uh, that Tico played on. Yes. And, mm. and right. Our drummer was in jail because he stabbed somebody the night before this, the report. session. <laughs> So John, John was helping us out with the demos and we were recording down in Philadelphia. And so John called Tico up and Tico drove down from New York city to Philly and cut the tracks in like, I don't know, two hours, maybe it was insane. Oh, okay. And yeah. then it's ironic though, that cause it wasn't Rob, he had tried out for Bon Jovi. He was like, he didn't make it. And then he joined your band. I was like, Oh, exactly. That's cause yeah. Dave Bryan, had suggested Rob. He's like, yeah, this guy who I'm, I've become friends with, uh, he, he auditioned for us. Well, why don't you uh, give him a shot? And we did. <laughs> and he joined the band. And you're still friends with him. He he just, he doesn't want to be in Skid Row, right? It's it's kind of, you were, you did you invite him? He was in Ozone Monday when you guys were Ozone yeah, Monday. he was right? in Ozone Monday and he kind of just, it kind of just fell apart. And so we started up Skid Row again. Uh, I forget exactly what the, I guess we had just, I guess there was too much distance between us at that point. I, I know I can't even really recall what the, what mm. the issue was, but I, I mean, Rob's a great guy and uh, a great guy and a, a great drummer. And it just, uh, at that particular time when, when Rachel Scotty and I decided we wanted to do Skid Row again, we, we, we we didn't it wasn't I don't even think it was a consideration for whatever reason. I'm not quite hmm. sure what that reason was. Okay. So back when you before you got signed, I didn't understand this part. You because I didn't even know this for a brief time you were actually signed to Geffen for like a day. Now, but they wanted you to be more like the Bon Jovi stuff, and you guys were like, No, we're more like a Guns N' Roses, but they had Guns N' Roses on their label. So why couldn't they see that for you guys? I don't I get don't it. I don't know. I think that. Because we were being helped out by the guys in Bon Jovi, that maybe they wanted that Bon Jovi Junior thing. Okay, we were, we were definitely not that. And and and, no. and the the thing that was the thing that was the, the the big deciding factor was we we showcased for them and we played nineteen songs. And they thought all we had was two decent songs. And only one of those songs made it to the record that they chose. What was uh, the other one they liked that didn't? A song called Forever. Oh, okay. That later made the 40 seasons or whatever. Right. Yeah, exactly. Yeah. That's a cool and tune. So, yeah. And so, yeah, we, uh, we got the word that they had, they signed the band and, and, it was really deflating. It felt so wrong uh, that we were just said everything you think that, that 
you want that moment to be like when you hear like you got the record deal, you know, and celebration, yeah. corks popping, and you know, the fireworks. Um, it was anything but that. And then we called Doc back about a half an hour later, and we're like, "This, we can't be on Geffen, man." Well, why? That we, it's they're an LA label. It didn't even feel like they liked us. It feels like they're doing you a favor uh, because of your relationship, your longstanding relationship with them. And and Atlantic has been at every show that we played in a New York, New Jersey, Pennsylvania area. Uh, Amon Erdogan and Doug Morris and Jason Flom and Dorothy Sissignano took a damn helicopter to see us in Bethlehem at a skating rink, for God's sakes. I go, that's where we want to be. You know, that's what we told Doc. All right. So Doc goes, let me see what I can do. So he was in LA and he gets on the phone with Amit and Amit goes, what do I have to do to get the band? And Doc's like, well, David has, you know, David Geffen has it already. He goes, don't worry about David. I'll take care of David. What do we have? What do I have to do to get the band? And Doc gave him, you know, the, the, the lowdown of what he needed to do. Um, it was uh, the miracle of Doc McGee being able to pull it off and, Next thing you know, we get a phone call saying, congrats, you're on Atlantic Records. And we were like, yeah. That's awesome. Yeah. Yeah. So with producers, I mean, it's hard to imagine a different producer because Michael Wagner, I love his work on those first two records and, and other work that he's done too. But you actually, at one point you met with Max Norman and what other producers did you talk to that some of them turned you down, which is crazy to think of, but. Max Norman we met with and he was great. He was, I mean, I was enamored with him from because of the blizzard of oz records and just you know randy rhodes is a huge hero of mine and so i was i i think i was more interested in picking his brain about the <laughs> sessions uh but he was a great guy really great guy uh we met with a guy by the name of rick browdy um uh, I'm sure I'm leaving some people out. Little Steven. Uh, wow, that'd love, be interesting. Yeah, I love him. Love, love, love him. Um, I forget who else. But once we met with Michael, it just was a no-brainer. It was it was just obvious that mm -hmm. he was the guy. Uh, he got it. He knew how to corral all these, you know, the, these young men uh, full of piss and vinegar who were children really. And, and he just, he had, he had a clear idea as well. And, and it's great to be able to work with people who, who really have a clear vision that not only matches what, what you foresee happening, but surpasses that. Okay. Yeah, so obviously the first record did very well. Um, you had written that, obviously, most of it, even before Sebastian joined. Yeah. So with the second record, when was that? Was that written on the road? Or did you guys, like, come off the road and sit down and write? Because I heard something like Quicksand Jesus took three or four months to write. Oh, easily. At, yeah, at least. Um, we had uh, – we don't write really well on the road. 
for mm. whatever reason, Rachel and okay. I just, we don't. We come up with ideas, you know, sound check ideas and ideas in the dressing room, and we'll put those on. You know, it used to be a dictaphone, and now you put them on your iPhone, hmm. and then you go back and you you grab those ideas and you get in a room and start filtering them out and seeing what is appealing to uh, either of us. And uh, so we got home. We had toured on that first record for. Phew, 16, 17, 18 months on that first record. We had gone out with Bon Jovi and we got out with Molly Crew. We did some headline stuff and then we went out with Aerosmith. And by the time we were done, we were we were we were asked to go out and do another leg with Aerosmith. And and we had it was crazy that we had to turn them down. And I the the idea of me even saying that, that we had to turn Aerosmith down is unbelievable because they're the greatest guys in the world and, and one of my top five favorite bands and but we needed we knew that we needed to we needed to start working on another record like we had been touring on this record for so long uh it was still selling great but we felt that if we didn't start working on another record soon it was going to be a while before we had one out and so we we took about a month off, and then we got back to work. Started started working uh, at Rachel's house, my house. Uh, we were jamming in, in Rob's basement at his house. You know, things had changed too. You know, like all of a sudden, everybody had houses now. <laughs> <laughs> You're not you know? doing the garage with the propane heaters anymore. No, we were doing Rob's basement with the propane heater. <laughs> Slightly better. Yeah. Uh, yeah, it was it, it was it was in the space of two years, things had changed drastically for everybody. Wow. Uh, and so that was. Wrapping your head around that was difficult as well, because, you know. Now you don't have to worry about being able to afford macaroni and cheese and tuna fish. You know, now you can have as much as you want. <laughs> you know, uh, it's like you don't have to bum cigarettes anymore. You can actually go buy a carton, you know, th things like that. It's so uh, then how do you get this anger from that? Because the record is so like angry and like aggressive. I mean, it's not like a you're not a it's not a happy record, really. I mean, so how did you in get inspired? Like the song Get the Fuck Out. I always wondered what what inspired that. That's got to be a cool story behind that one. Oh, that has to do with some guys on our road crew and their terrible, terrible antics on the road. <laughs> that okay. was that was that was song was written in in like we actually we Rachel and I finished writing that song on the airplane flight to Australia in in 1990. Oh, okay. So what that was one of the few one that that was written on the road. Yeah, because we had gotten together when we were home on a break and we had written probably about half of it. And, and hmm. we basically basically got drunk on the flight and finished it on the way over there. OK, we might even have played it there, too, if I'm not mistaken. We might have played it in Australia. I know that I, I think you played it at Wembley and, and then you got banned from, but then you played it then you came back like a year later. They obviously forgot or whatever. Yeah, yeah, yeah. They're full of crap. That's stupid stuff. What about the threat? What 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 inspired that song? That's a, that's one of my favorites. We always felt that we always felt like the underdogs. 
Like we always felt like we were in a position of, of, of being an underdog and whether it was, Oh, they, they only made it because of the Bon Jovi's or this or that, or it was, it always felt like we were being demeaned to some level for the hard work that we put in kind of wasn't right. Recognized. And so, and also singularly growing up and looking different, like, you know, these days we have long hair and no one, no one cares, you know, but back in, in, in the uh, early eighties, you show up with hair down to your ass and you're, you know, you're a problem child. You're, uh, you know, a threat. And so, uh, having uh being unjustly judged played a big part and people uh the way people perceived us as individuals growing up without the old you know judging a book by its cover type of thing okay that makes uh, sense and it's about nonconformity, uh that sort of uh uh way of thinking is is and just you know not being the same thing as as slave to the grind not being uh in a on an assembly line uh of life you know it's mm. like forging your own path and and uh not being uh chained to what the norm is oh that makes sense is the song Wasted Time, is that one about Steven Adler's drug use? Is that true? I read that. That was, uh, that was what inspired it. Uh, that was what, when Sebastian and I first started working on it, that was kind of, the, that was what inspired it for sure. Oh, okay. And then when you guys, I know you're not, a, you guys aren't as big a fan of the Subhuman Race record. I really like that one, but um, I, I, like I found it, it interesting. You like it? Yeah, I do. Okay. Yeah, because I, 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 I noticed today, I don't know if I ever knew this, that um, the song Breaking Down it's, I don't know if that's correct, but on Wikipedia, it says that you wrote that one all by yourself. Is that true? Because that's kind of unusual. You usually write at least with Rachel, if not yeah. more than members. Yeah, yeah, no, that's true. Why is that? Yeah, why was that one written all by yourself? Like, to be honest with you, I, I was sitting in a room in my house, and, and let me, let me, that record, I like the record. The process of that record, I can't stand. <laughs> it it was it was a very difficult record to make, and Rachel had said this, and I agree with him because I felt the same way. That record is the sound of a band falling apart, and that's what we were. We were falling apart. Yeah. Um, and so I was sitting alone in my house, and I was watching a movie. I couldn't even tell you what the name of the movie was, but it was something dramatic was happening, this big, long, dramatic scene. And I thought the music wasn't, it was wrong for the scene. So I started playing something that I thought would be better for that particular scene, just like a chord progression. And I really liked the chord progression. I was like, okay, well, let me run with this. Shut off the TV, 
started scribbling some lyrics, some melodies came, let it sit for a little while, didn't really do anything with it. I had it all kind of mapped out with the exception of the solo section, had some lyrics written. We're in the studio working with Bob Rock, and Bob goes, you guys got anything else? And I go, well, I've got this. And he's like, oh, well, that's pretty interesting. Let's run with this. And so we did. And I had one line to write. I mean, there's not very many lyrics to it, but I wrote one line for uh, one more line was needed. And, and it was just kind of a play on the rest of it, a very simple song. And uh, we cut it live off the floor uh, with the exception of the vocals. And uh, Bob had come up with the idea of taking the chord progression and uh, turning it around a little bit for the solo section. So it's the same chords that are in the chorus, except it's starting on the second chord of the chorus as opposed to the first chord. Okay. Yeah, that's a. I like that song. I like that whole album. But that makes sense. And I think also, just that that time period where they. And I think Bob really tried to change the sound. It would have been interesting to hear what Michael Wagner would have done with those songs. I think about that sometimes too. Uh, I I do think about that. Um, you know, I, there there's obviously it would have been different for sure had Michael had done it, but. Uh, you know, at that time, we felt it was the right thing to do. Uh, you know, he had had such great success earlier with Bon Jovi, you know, working with Bruce and Fairburn and, uh, and then with Molly Crew and Metallica. And uh, it just felt like this is maybe this will be the thing that could save the band, if you will. Sure, for sure. Yeah. Well, you guys, the other thing that I really loved about the band as a kid was watching the home videos. Oh, say can you stream or scream roadkill? Is there any, would there be a future home video or is that just like out of style now? Because I know I've seen some funny short things like Rachel on the baggage claim. <laughs> like, the Those are hilarious. I oh, love every time. It's yeah. a great bit. It's a great bit. Yeah. I love it. I, I'm surprised the security doesn't come like get mad at him for that, but it's hilarious. No, no, we we work it out where we make sure security isn't anywhere near, it so we can. Okay. Oh, okay. <laughs> I thought you were going to say you make you make it okay with them. You just make sure no, they're not. No, 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 no. Okay. Yeah. No. So would there be some sort of home video? Is that even a thing anymore? Or? You know what? I think it's I I it's a thing, but it's a thing kind of like. It would be just a compilation of, of bits, you know, because it's sure it'd be fine with me because there's there's a lot of a lot of comedy in this band. Yes. And and that's one of the great things about being in this band is is the is the the humor that we all have with each other. And we're all really, really sarcastic. Uh but most of us are pretty clever as well. Uh, yes. And I, I uh, that's one of the great things I've always loved about being this band is that we laugh a lot. We laugh an awful lot. Well, it just seemed like as a kid, I think that's what kind of, obviously the music was the first thing. Cause I didn't even think I saw a picture of you the first time I heard the band, but then 
And then I saw the logo and then I saw the band look and then I saw the home videos and it was like everything just looked like a fun band that was having a good time playing rock and roll and, um, and aggressive and just, yeah, the whole thing like that, that's what made me a fan. I, and I think that's what it's something you guys obviously embrace still. I think that's why I love the new record so much. Cause it just ties that all back together. Well, I appreciate you saying that. Thanks. It feels that way too. Uh, it, there, there is a, uh, there's a pal- palatable, palatable excitement uh, that runs throughout the record. Uh, and, and it's because Nick was able to capture that in our performances. Like, for example, when Scotty and I were cutting rhythm guitars, we cut them in the same room, he and I facing each other. And we had never done anything like that before. It seems like hmm. such an obvious thing, but we'd never done that before. Uh, and it was so much fun because there was this energy that was going back and forth and we're sweating and we're banging it. And it's like, there's just this thing that occurs that you can't, you can't, put your finger on it other than there's this connection that's happening between two people that create something that wouldn't have existed if we weren't in that same room together. Like that's just, interesting. Yeah. There's just like the way we play when we're facing each other is different than when we're by ourselves. We're more conscious of the other person and we're feeding off their energy and vice versa. And so you're creating something that is greater than the sum of its parts. Absolutely. I love it. Now, is there, I heard you say something about an Atlantic records box set. Is there any updates on that? And would that include any unreleased or demo tracks from those records or the covers EP? It, it has the, 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 it has all the stuff that we did with Atlantic and it's got a live record that we did in Japan on a subhuman race tour, but no demos or anything like that. No. Okay. Probably some of that stuff's already out. Like I said, I heard stuff on YouTube though, but yeah, yeah. it's, it's pretty easily accessible. Okay. Well, um, you're friends with Eddie trunk. I know he does like that stump the trunk that he knows so much about rock and stuff. I feel like I know a lot about you guys though. Is can you stump me? Is there a piece of trivia that you want to quiz me on that most people might not know about the band. And if, and if I don't know, then I want to learn this. I know John Karabi almost auditioned for you guys. I know Jason McMaster came close. Uh, what else? There's so many cool things like that. I love stories like that. Like, I think that stuff is, is so neat. Obviously everyone knows the, the Bon Jovi stuff and how you got your nickname for the, <laughs> that's hilarious. You know, Jizzy Pearl auditioned for us as well. No, I didn't know that. I've had him on my show twice. Yeah. We flew him into New Jersey. He stayed at my house for a couple of days. Wonderful person. Really talented guy. When was that? That was around 1999. Okay. Right, so, before, right before the Kiss Tour. Before Johnny joined? Yes. Okay. Right before wow. Johnny joined. Oh, okay. So just was he close to the... Because to, that, that would have been interesting to hear him. It didn't work. Yeah. It didn't work. So there's one for you. Okay. Uh, That's a fun one. 
I can't think of anything off the top of my head that of any any significance. Uh, did you know that we sang background vocals on the Dr. Feelgood album? Yes, Time for Change. Yep. Yeah. yeah. And on the Ace Freely record, too. Trouble Walking? Yeah. Yep. Uh, <laughs> I bought that record for that reason. Oh, shit. <laughs> I have a question. Um, how can I get one of those jackets that you guys were in the... The gang's all here. I might, I looked on the website. I was like, I want one of these jackets. Oh, is this is this only for the band or are they specially made? Right now, the the, the we're we're going to be uh, selling those patches. Oh, really? The patch. Yeah. Okay. So you yeah. could put it on your jacket and then exactly. Very cool. Well, I I love the new record. Like I said, I think uh, I'm excited to to. I haven't heard Eric live. I know you guys were in Tucson. I missed that show. I regret, regret missing that, but uh, hopefully you'll come back and maybe in Phoenix or something. I saw you with ZP the last time you were here in Phoenix, a few, and that was a fun show because it was like Warrant and Winger, and it's a great package. Right. It, it is. It's a lot of fun, man. And uh, all those guys are great. You know, it's so we were talking, Rachel and I were talking about this the other after the last show. It's so easy touring with people that you like that, that you get along with that are just they're happy to be there. They want to go out and put on a great show for the fans. And, and you know, there's no one who's miserable. It's just so it makes life so great. Yeah, it makes it easier to, to team up with the other bands, too, right? You can yeah, do I mean, it's just it's there's no egos. Everybody's cool. You know, everybody gives everybody their space and is respectful of one another. And because you know, everyone's been doing it for so long, who wants to who wants to play, you know, childish bullshit, you know? Exactly. Well, thank you so much for doing this. I know you got to get going. I always end each episode promoting a charity. Is there is there one that you want to just have people um, donate to after they buy the new record? Of course. Yes, there's a uh, there's an organization called uh, NAMI, which is the yeah. National Advisory on Mental Illness, and it's an amazing organization that uh, is dedicated to. Uh, helping anyone who is suffering from any sort of mental illness or mental disability whatsoever. Uh, it's the, the premise is to remove the stigma that's attached to mental illness and to uh, create an environment for mental wellness. I love it. Yeah. I've promoted a mental, uh, that specific one and other mental uh, illness charities as well. So I love, it. I'm a huge advocate for that. So that's really cool. I'll put that in the notes along with your website and then people could check that for uh show dates is there is there any uh there's shows on there must be shows on the books that you got oh, yeah, yeah. we're 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 just solidifying we're starting to work on next year's dates right now okay yeah i i'd be cool to see like just a solo skid row because you guys could do a longer set especially now with eric he's he's younger he, he can i mean that's tough material but he could probably do like two hours oh, right easily the kid's a machine yeah, I love how he's got like a growth mindset after the first show. He texts, he's like, "Hey, what can I improve on?" I'm like, yeah, "Oh, dude. that's like that's the kid you want on your team." I love yeah, it. Yeah, for sure. That, that's Very who cool. he is. That's who he is. Amazing. Well, thank you so much. This is like if thirteen-year-old me could see me now. It's a, it, I mean, it's still amazing. But geez, if I go back in time and show him this, uh, Chuck, thank you so much, buddy. I really appreciate it, man. All right, I'll see you on tour. Thanks. All right, buddy. Be well. You too. Bye bye. Bye bye. Snake Sabo, still crazy to say it out loud. Amazing to see him on my podcast. I grew up a huge fan. My thanks to Snake and his PR team for setting this up. 
get the new record. The gang's all here. Uh, listen on streaming, whatever you do. If you're a Skid Row fan and a fan of the old stuff, I think you're going to love it. So check out the website in the show notes for tour dates and make sure to follow the band on social media. Of course, I'd love for you to follow me on social media as well and subscribe to the show wherever you listen if you haven't yet already done that. Uh, your likes, comments, and shares really help me out a lot. And of course, it helps our guests too since more people will see the episode and these interviews are mainly about promoting the guests and their brand. So thank you so much for listening. Have a great rest of your day and remember to shoot for the moon. Shoot for the moon.